The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9 this morning. Um, I believe, yeah, I think Tab kind of promo. Tab's going to be gone. He's gone on vacation this week. He's gone on vacation next week as well. Um, and in his place this morning, we have the privilege of having Jonathan Schrader with us, a pastor who we love. He's the pastor of uh, Reservoir Church up in Escondido. That was the planting church that launched us uh, almost a decade ago. So just long-standing relationships with them. And we are very grateful that Jonathan is here to preach the word to us. I just love knowing that when he comes, we are going to uh, just see Christ more and glory more in who he is and what he's done for us. And so in a minute, we want to welcome Jonathan. But before he does that, Lindsay's going to come and pray for us and read our passage. Thank you. Father God, I thank you that you uh, delight to answer prayers for, for seeing you better. And so we ask today that you would just come and open our eyes, that you would illuminate the scripture, that you would help us to see Jesus better and to connect him to our lives here. Um, thank you that you that you gladly answer that prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Luke 9, 1 to 17. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And where, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about what was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And they took him and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned of it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, But we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they, ate all, they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, saints and ain'ts. That was a joke. That was a joke. Hopefully you're all saints in this place. It's so good to be with you guys. Thank you for letting Tab um, get a vacation. That's uh, vitally important. We actually see a little bit of vacation in our text today. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about that momentarily. But I do want to extend greetings from Reservoir Church as they gather this morning in beautiful Escondido. Um, they love you. And uh, I even asked some of our 
folks, I was like, is there anybody you want me to say hi? And so we're going to have to have to, like a reunion before long to celebrate maybe your decade. Um, I feel like I'm coming up on a decade of being in town too, pretty darn close. Um, but maybe we'll have a big joint church picnic and we will beat you in softball. Deal? I, maybe I should take that back. You guys, you could, you could have three teams um, and we'll have one. But all right. So the big idea for today is that Jesus will provide for and through you. Now, all of life is risk management. Anybody work for anybody that pays them to do risk assessments? Yeah, oh, we got a couple. Yeah, getting paid well for it. Hopefully, it's more than just a unique industry, though, right? Risk assessment, our lives are weighed. They are calculated and evaluated all to assess and to gauge risk what you're experiencing, what you're doing. We have credit scores that lend to that assessment, um, records that indicate potential outcomes. We were talking, Joshua was asking me if there's anything in my history that's funny, and I've got it. And I told him, you just have to Google me and put in certain words and see if that uh, turns you off or not. But even our DNA, right? We can study our DNA, and it will give us a sense of what is to come. It can be a form of risk assessment for us. But more than just judgment that makes the world system click along, we internally do risk assessment without even thinking about it, right? How bad is this going to hurt if I try to dunk this ball, which I've never done, so I, I don't think about that often. How much is this thing going to cost? Do I have what it's worth to spend? What are the benefits? What's the return on investment? And this line of thinking and even the industry that gets paid to do assessment of risk for us, it's not bad, right? Assessing risk is good and wise. It's necessary in our lives. And there are, in fact, risks in this world, right? We're we're acquainted with them. It's come through history and humans, through our own choice and sin, we've tainted the experience So it needs to be managed. We need to evaluate risks in our world. And humans have been running the church as well. So even in the church, we're familiar with risk analysis into different varying degrees of how we have to process things, decisions we make, where we spend, where we align ministry. And for people of faith, though, I wonder if we've taken too much confidence in our skills of risk assessment and management of life over an existence that we could describe maybe as risky faith. A risky faith that is really just finding and following the way of the kingdom that Jesus has invited us into. So I loved the opportunity to come and preach in the summer when everybody's chilled out a little bit and I'm going to challenge you to live a risky faith. And I think I needed to be reminded of this truth from Luke 9 myself as I look at the days ahead and the things the Lord has called me to. In our text today, we have the commissioning of the apostles to go and preach and to heal people that are sick or in need. And then we have a really big meal that takes place in the story. And you know this text well, probably you've heard hundreds of sermons if you've been in the church for your life about these different uh, illustrations and stories from Christ's ministry. But all of it, all of these verses are teaching and building faith in Jesus, for faith in 
him from his followers, a faith that actually trusts him and acts on that trust. If you spend any time in the Gospel of Luke, you see before we get to these stories, the accounts of Jesus' power, his mercy and compassion. This is the one who uh, the wind and waves are calmed and he questions his followers, where is your faith in the midst of storms? More of the same happens in these stories. The miraculous, uh, the provision of God and a call to faith that lives in response to that provision. And we see before us a model of ministry. There's provision received and given and it creates enough of a disruption in their environment to make outsiders eager to hear more about this Jesus. So following the perspective of the apostles this morning, I think there's much here for us, and we want to start first with the truth that Jesus provides for his own. All of Scripture, you have to know this, is one big story of provision. God providing, right? God provides food, place, identity, security, and ultimately, he provides a life that is laid down for us where all the other patterns of religion are about earning or achieving or arriving or grasping some new thought. Christianity is simply about receiving. It's actually what drives some people crazy when we think about Christianity. Because in this faith, there is no transactional control for us. There's no management of the risks that we can bring to the table. It is all reception of a gift to us. Like I have a preteen in the home and she is in that that strange stage of childhood before her teen years where she actually has money and wants to buy things or something when we're at the store, but she gets mad when I pay for it, right? And I I tell her all the time, I'm going to remind you this when you're 16, that you did not want me to pay for anything, right? Have you all raised children who want to pay their own way for stuff? I'm going to write a book about it. I'm going to sell all kinds of books. But it's like that. It's like, instead of receiving the gift, we want to be able to pay for it, and we get mad when we can't control the situation or relationship with our Savior. As Jesus preaches the kingdom, he's teaching this way of provision to his followers and those that will hear his message. And he's training, preparing the apostles for their lives to come. And he will ascend again to heaven and they'll go to make disciples of all the earth. And here Jesus provides what they actually need and then he sends them out. You heard it read this morning, summoning the 12, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick to drive trust in his provision for them, he tells the apostles to take nothing uh, with them on the road. I'm sending you out, but you are not to take anything. You are to travel empty-handed to do the work that he has called them to do, right? Think of a mother on a, uh, just two miles into a long road trip. Anybody taking a long road trip this summer? Uh, none of us, because gas prices are outrageous, right? They try to fly. It's even worse. Just stay home. We live in San Diego, all right? But, but think of that experience of being a mother of like, say, four kids, and you're two miles into a 100-mile road trip, and you realize you did not bring any snacks, right? 
there'd be a little bit of panic in that moment, and uh, you'd keep it quiet and hope the kids don't bring up snacks, but what are the chances of that, right? So he's sending out the, the, the disciples here, those that will be the apostles, that there's no staff to lean on, no bag for their gear, there's no bread, there's no money there to bring. And he says, don't even bring an extra shirt. Don't take two tunics, just one. Now, this is likely not the only model of ministry. Um, just FYI, there are so elsewhere, he will send them out with some supplies, so uh, we can be supplied. But the point here is this, that he is all they need in this moment to do what he's called them to do. The power and authority that he grants them is all that they need for this ministry. It's not a staff, it's not a stick, it's not a collection of books, it's not money to buy more, it's not the best clothes, it's not a willingness to go to certain homes or not. It is just Jesus is sending his call on their lives. His power and authority are what they require. He says, stay at the house that you enter. It's like proving they aren't looking for the bigger or the better. Just go where you land and do ministry there. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, period. And this will be something they will continue to learn, right? This idea that Jesus is enough. Like if you take any notes this morning, may that sentence be it. Jesus is enough. And underline it just a thousand times. One teacher says that Jesus also wanted the 12 to learn to trust him for everything. Faith in him was to be the foundation of their ministry. Significantly, even at the Last Supper, when he asked them if they lacked anything when they sent, he sent them out, they answered in Luke 22, nothing. So they will learn from this moment, and at the Last Supper, the last meal he's going to have before they are going to own up to ministry and do it themselves, he reminds them of this sending. This is about ministry, but it's also about life in the kingdom for all of us. How many of us have not thought that we need more? Think about it in my ministry context in a reservoir church. We are a small church and we can think to ourselves like, what do we have to offer Escondido or North County, San Diego? Surely though, if we were bigger, bolder, there would be less risk. If I could just get Elon Musk to tithe, right? I'd settle if you just sit down and hear the gospel, but you know. Tithing would happen if he heard the gospel and believed, right? So we think, like, I just need more. Like, I need, like, this is what's going to solve our ministry. This is going to solve stagnation. This is going to solve people coming just twice a month instead of three times a month now post-COVID. Or not coming at all. We had more. Or sometimes we go through life and we have trauma that keeps us stagnant, right? We think to ourselves, well, I, the church has hurt me before. They've taken my time, my energy. I am not giving up my baggage. And I, I was preached to before I preached this morning, right, from Margie. Like, that was beautiful. Like, just the, the story. And you have to know, the enemy plants those seeds of weeds because you have something to say. The truth of the gospel goes forth, and there's finally freedom to say, I can get up in front of people and trust that the Lord is going to use my word. So the way forward, I am convinced, friends, is traveling light and trusting Jesus. And if, we're all care, if all we are carrying is him, we're more likely to smell like him. So I tell our people all the time, like, 
You can, you can judge a lot of teaching from other pastors or ministries or books that you read or interactions you have with people. Just tell me, does it smell like Jesus? When we trust in him and he's all we're carrying, we are bound to smell like him. Tom Schreiner says that when God calls us to do something for his sake, he provides us with what we need, with what we do not have in ourselves, so that we are able to carry out his will, not in our own strength, but in his. I love it because in this story, Jesus even says to not sweat those that don't believe. He says where there's no welcome, just shake off the dust and move on. Take nothing but his power and authority. And the beautiful thing is, right, it, it worked. There's a testament here. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. There was success in their ministry. He was a, they were accomplishing what he sent them out to do. They take the risk and the kingdom goes forth. Jesus provided for them and this is exactly what he will keep doing. Then and now, for those of us that are following him today, it's by his spirit that we have what we need, that power and authority to do what he's called us to do. And in the story, I love it, when they come back and they report to Jesus all that they had done in this ministry and going among these villages, they have the opportunity to evaluate and to recognize the provision, to see the provision. Mark's gospel opens up uh, just a little bit more of this exchange. And he writes, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people are coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. This is where they go to Bethsaida here in our text. And like the apostles, I am convinced that we need to take time to see. So much of life is like hurry from the next thing to the next thing, the list of tasks that we have to accomplish each and every week. And it's helpful. The Sabbath is good for us to rest, to reflect, and to see the way Jesus has provided for us. And when we do that, I think it frees us to thrive in all of life. In our story, these apostles, they need to keep seeing because right away they stumble into uncertainty. Like from the mountaintop, these guys are healing like significant disease in people and they come back in and then they're going to end up doubting provision in this story. Because they're worried about what? Feeding the crowd. And how like us they were. Because we remain dull to Christ in his ways. We're, we're numb to it almost. Though he has provided for us a thousand times, Jesus does a miracle for us, and yet not much later we find ourselves in a tight spot. And not only do we think God is not adequate for our needs, but we have the cheek to try to tell him what to do for us. But Jesus provides for his own. So this text shows us that if he calls you, he has you. He has provided for you. And we can sing the old poem, yesterday God helped me, today he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever, praise his name. But not only will he provide for you, 
And all of us, we have examples. The fact that you are here and breathing this morning, that you were able to put clothes on your body is an example of the provision of the Lord. He gave you energy to exist in this moment. Not only is he going to provide for you, but he will also provide for others through you. Jesus provides through his own. And often when we talk in the church about things like risky faith or we put a label on such things, it's essentially done to stir like individual dreams, right? Maybe even when I first said risky faith, you were thinking like, this is the bold thing that I need to do. And we're very North American Christians. We are very self-oriented. And I'll expand that. All human Christians are very self-oriented people, right? But here, kingdom faith is communal. And it's others-oriented. It's always pointed outward for the care for those that are around those that are in the kingdom that have faith in Jesus. You can think about the lives that were changed when the apostles went out. All those that heard the truth of the gospel and the kingdom and they were healed. Like that's significant change for them. And then Jesus again here welcomes the crowd and the apostles' rest is short-lived and they go right back to ministry. And in verse 11, we see when the crowds found out, they followed him and he welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. But it it gets late in the day and the people that are around that he's been healing, he's been preaching to, they need food. The story of this meal is in every one of the four gospel uh, accounts. And so it is vitally important. And in John 6, it's going to be the venue for what I think. If I'm to pick a chapter of the Bible that tells us what we need to know of Jesus and what it looks like to live with him, it is John 6. And it's this story. The 12 who are gathered with him doing this ministry, they have just experienced God's provision in their own work. And in this moment, they want to send the crowd away. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. I I get it in this moment. Like I can feel the tension for the apostles. They're enjoying rest, and then immediately it's right back to ministry, right? What's Tab got, two weeks? Like give him a buffer. Don't harass him for at least an extra week when he gets back, right? If you need to harass him, do it. They're they're enjoying it. It's right back. And the problem doesn't seem to be theirs in this moment, right? Because they weren't responsible for the food for these people. I feel like we live this, don't we? A, A problem arrives in our lives and the solution certainly must be elsewhere, outside of us. And when, uh, when are these people going to take care of themselves, we think? We're given opportunity to care for others. When is the government finally going to provide for people? We think to ourselves and wonder when the solution, it might actually be in others' hands. But the truth is when Jesus has called you to solve it, he will use you to solve it. So the apostles do a risk assessment in this moment when he says, you feed them. right? And they start counting. They're really good accountants, these apostles. Five loaves of bread, two fish. 5,000 men. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. 
I love what Pastor Tony Evans says. By making them assess the situation, Jesus showed them that their resources were insufficient. Feeding the crowd was humanly impossible. It required divine assistance. I don't know how much of my life matches this exactly. Jesus would be like, Schrader, I've called you to do something. Now count the cost of it. And I'm sitting here like, Lord, there's no way. Are you telling me to play the Mega Million? It's half a billion dollars on Tuesday. Don't ask me why I know that. Steve, I'm not playing the lottery. My finances are good, right? But we do that, right? It's like, I'm, I, I feel called to something. And then my mind starts generating the solution. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I want you to count the costs. I want you to think through what needs to happen but I want you to think through so you will realize what you have is insufficient. So much of life we go through it like, oh, I'll get this figured out. I'll, I'll work my diet a little harder. I'm going to lose this weight or I'm going to keep this marriage together by my own willpower. And so much of life, Jesus is like, I want you to see me as what you need for this problem. So Jesus has them organized and he took the little that they had, he blessed it and he broke it and he kept giving it to the disciples to set before the crowd. I think Jesus is doing a lot here. Because the wilderness meal that is happening here not only refers to past events in Scripture, right? The, the feeding of God's people in the wilderness with manna, but it also hints at God's continual provision for us and the promise that one day we will no longer be hungry in this broken world, but we will be fully and finally satisfied in the renewed world. This is the forward-looking hope that's at the center of the gospel. And we see it in Jesus feeding these 10,000 or more people. And he's using his followers to distribute the hope. He's using his apostles who doubted in the moment, who counted the cost, realized they were insufficient to deliver the provision. He multiplies the food and he uses these disciples to pass it on. I love how Luke writes it. Everyone ate and was filled. I think ESV says, and was satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. And the great miracle speaks first and foremost, friends, to the sufficiency of Christ's life for our salvation. His obedience, his sacrifice. And the utter satisfaction given to the people through the miracle of Christ's supply, means that he is sufficient for any need in life. Whatever it is. There wasn't enough. And then with Jesus, there was more than enough. And this will shape the apostolic ministry. This is going to change the world from these foundational moments. These are the ones that are going to go preach the finished work of Jesus. You can't imagine just to be there, to see the provision of Christ, to give what they have, and then to become the provision of Christ to others. It's our life in Christ. One scholar says, it is often our God-given duty to attempt tasks to which we are conspicuously inadequate in the confidence that he who gives them has laid them on us to drive us to himself and there to find sufficiency. 
The best preparation for his servants for their work in the world is the discovery that their own stores are small. This is our mission as well, to just be those that hand out the provision of Jesus, to proclaim the good news and to feed the hungry, to be ambassadors, good neighbors, and gardeners tending the renewal that Jesus is bringing into the world. And it's always the way for us in the kingdom. And T. Wright, a British scholar, says that Jesus is rescuing people from the corruption and decay of the world presently so that they could enjoy already in the present that renewal of creation, which is God's ultimate purpose. And so they could thus become colleagues and partners in the larger project. Jesus provides for you and then invites you into his renewal of all things to extend his provision to others. And it it may leave us blessed and broke as we trust him, as we become that that he sends out, that he provides for others, living for the renewal of others in all things, to be provision. But we can look at this story, hear the truth of Christ, and we can hear ourselves say, we don't have enough to provide for refugee families in San Diego. Have them sit down in groups of 50. We're too small to serve and give hope to the invisible in our city. Looking to heaven, he blessed and broke them. How could my life ever be enough to give hope and comfort of Jesus to anyone? Everyone ate and was filled. Jesus will provide for and through you. So friends, trust him. The wind and waves obey. His power and authority are yours. In him, as a child of God, you have this authority. Take nothing for the road. Go proclaiming the good news. Jesus has you and he provides for you. So where's he leading you by his spirit to set aside the old ways of risk assessment? Step out in faith to make him known, to see his provision, to trust him. Then in your trust, just be provision. Surrender your trauma, open your hands, pass the bread to those who are hungry, and then friends, do it together as a family. Who will you feed? Who will Jesus have you sit in groups of 50? Truth is, if faith like this makes waves, it's a disruption of the status quo. And here in our story, even Herod, the mini king, took notice of this ministry of Jesus. And rumors had it that it was John the Baptist back from the dead, or maybe even Elijah. But something significant was afoot. This was different. And even the king says, who is this I hear so much about? And he wanted to see him. May we see a holy disruption in our day, friends. Because we trust his provision and we become his provision for others. He has welcomed us like he did the crowd on that day. Let's welcome others in faith, seeing provision and being provision for his glory and for our good. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, 
your word tells us over and over again of the provision of Christ for us, that we can truly trust in you for all that we need. Lord, we know just by life and experience that your provision comes in many forms, and uh, we need friends to help us see it at times. And I pray for Grace Church East County that you would work this increased gift of risky faith into their lives. Nothing would hold them back from what you have called them to do, from the power and authority that you've granted them to be your ambassadors in this city. Have your way among us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan, for pointing us to the provision of Christ for us. Well, in just a moment, we want to end by celebrating the Lord's Supper together, a wonderful reminder that Jesus has given us each week as we gather together to be reminded of his wonderful provision for us then and a wonderful reminder of his provision for us today as we once again receive Christ, as we receive all of his benefits, as our souls are built up and nourished as we feast on Christ together. And so um, in a moment when the Lord's Supper servers are ready to come down, we're going to do that. But in, the, in, in a moment, I just want to invite you now to uh, just to pause and to reflect on Christ's um, provision for you, for the wonderful ways that he is ways that he has provided in your life. Let us just spend a few moments in the, the quiet of our hearts reflecting on where we are currently aware of our need for him. And in just a moment, we'll take the elements together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.